when we are discussing the upper respiratory system, we are looking at those medications um, that work on the central nervous system, the nasal passages, or other parts of the respiratory system that we can uh, breathe through or that can give us some life when we are talking about exchanges of oxygen with CO2 to and from the lungs. We will discuss uh, medication that contains opioids that can help us when we have upper respiratory tract conditions and we'll look at medication that can also affect um, the upper respiratory tract but does not have um, opioids or do not have opioids in them. Now, we'll look at the antihistamines which are often prescribed for, aller for, aller for allergic reactions in our body. We'll look at that. We'll look at how they can treat nausea, motion sickness, and other conditions like insomnia. Because we know that some of the antihistamines can treat insomnia, like Benadryl. So Benadryl is an antihistamine. It is used for upper respiratory tract conditions. It can treat nausea. It can treat uh, it can treat insomnia. We look at drugs that that can be combined to increase its efficacy. Some of these medications, when they are administered alone, we cannot see how strong they are. We cannot we cannot take into consideration their efficacy. But uh, when they are combined with all medication, that's when the efficacy of these drugs can be seen. So we'll look at those medication. As much as we are looking at them, it is also necessary that uh, we look at them in detail. We make sure we understand them in detail. Now, we'll look at drugs also. Um, like for example, look at the antitussive. These medications are combined with the expectorants to provide the best efficacy that we need when we are having conditions that can be treated by these medications. So we're going to start with the antitussive medication. The first ones are the antitussive medication. Now, this antitussive, we have two types. We have one that contains opioids and one contains non-opioids components. So we'll look at the ones that contain the opioids, the antitussive, that is the opioid antitussive medication. These medications, um, we use them a lot. So for the antitussive, these are drugs that relieve cough or prevent coughing. So tussive means cough. So when we talk about antitussive, we're talking about drugs that prevent or relieve coughing. These medications, um, they contain opioids. You have the codeine, the hydrocodone, are all examples of these medications that contain uh, opioids and they are also antitussive. This op opioid antitussive medication, specifically, specifically we'll talk about the codeines. The codeines are those antitussive that contain opioids that suppress 
the cough through the CNS. In this case, it increases the cough threshold. So when we, when we take antitussive opioid type, they suppress, uh, they suppress our cough and make us to increase our cough threshold, which will help to alleviate the cough back and forth with us. So these medications, they are used for chronic non-productive cough. So we use the opioids, antitussive medication, when we have chronic, when we have chronic non-productive, non-productive cough. So we use the antitussive medication that, that, that contain opioids. These medications, example, like I said, is the codeine. The codeine is an example under here. The codeine, it is non, it is an opioid antitussive cough suppressant or cough reliever. Now, um, when we are talking about any drugs that contain opioids, what should come to our mind specifically is, uh, what comes to our mind specifically is the CNS. This medication that contain opioids, they have so many different effects on our body. They affect the CNS and the CNS controls like our whole body. So when these medications have effects on the CNS, there are many portions of our body that will show effects of these drugs or their complicate or, or, or complication for this medication. So um, under here, you have the noscapines, another example of, of, of this medication, of this class. You have like uh, the Benadryl, you have like uh, the dextromethorphans, the benzonated, benzonated or benzonated, benzonated. These are all examples of antitussive. Now, but uh, the, the, the Benadryl is an example, but it is non-opioid. Now, this medication, let's look at the complications for these medications. The first one would be CNS effect. We have a CNS effect. It causes dizziness, lightheadedness, drowsiness, and it causes respiratory depression. Now, let's understand one thing. CNS effects include the client will have lightheadedness, that's one. Two, the client will have dizziness. Three, the client is going to have drowsiness. The client will also present with respiratory depression. The client will have respiratory depression. Now, let's understand one thing. These are all CNS symptoms. Lightheadedness, dizziness, drowsiness, respiratory depression. Now, it is just not for these medications. When we talk about respiratory, when we talk about CNS complication, these are the signs and symptoms that are going to appear with the client. So it could be other condition. When the client is having some CNS symptoms, the client will show these symptoms. 
So whenever you see in the inkless, you see um, lightheadedness, dizziness, drowsiness, uh, depression, it is linked to CNS uh, 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 effects. Now, so in short, even if you are on other medication that has the, that have some CNS or effects or complication, the patient will still present with this with these same symptoms. Now, whenever we are doing the ankles and these symptoms appear in the ankle, that we see the symptoms of the patient, what comes to our mind? What comes to our mind is what comes to our mind is uh, what can we do to stop or to to or to provide some form of a relief for the patient when the patient is having these symptoms. Whenever we see this thing, what 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 comes to our mind first? Can someone tell me what do we do for when a client has lightheadedness, dizziness, drowsiness, depression of the of the respiratory uh, system? What do we do first? What what's the first thing that comes to our mind? Can someone tell me, please? Okay, it's okay. So, uh, so when somebody when somebody has this problem, the first thing we do is vital sign. Check the client vital signs. Um, you can put a phone on 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 mute. We do the client vital signs. We monitor when the client is ambulating. Those are things we want to do. If the client is ambulating, we want to monitor the client waking up. Get the client might have some other hypotensive condition. We want to go ahead. We want to look at uh. When a client is changing position, the client has to do it slowly. The client got to be uh, observed for symptoms of, 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 of depression, which include any breath rate below 12 beats per minute. It's a huge sign of depression. So when the client has respiratory depression, the client is going to have a breath rate lower than 12 beats per minute. Now, um, in this case, um, we want to advise the client to avoid activities that, that require the client to be alert, such as driving while taking codeine medication. If the client is taking codeine, they cannot drive and they cannot operate heavy machineries. So these are the intervention for CNS effect with these medications. So it could be other medication that are not uh, anti-tusive, but once they have uh, CNS suppression, CNS effect, they will show those symptoms I talk about, and they will also, will also intervene with these interventions for the condition. Now, then we have, the client might also have some GI distress. When the client is on this medication, the client will have some GI distress. GI distress, include nausea the client might have nausea and the client might have uh, vomiting the client might also have constipation so these are the three most uh, prominent GI distress I'm talking about nausea vomiting and the client might have constipation the fourth one could be diarrhea but diarrhea is not is not associated with uh, with coding because this medication will relax uh, 
the, these, these drugs will relax the motility of the GI system. And when that occurs, our GI system moves. It, uh, we, when we eat food, food passes through the GI system through the parasitic movement. So through peristasis, food moves downward to the lower GI tract and other part of the body. And when food have been, uh, the barbiter of food eat is the feces, and they come out through the same peristasis. Now, in the case of codeine, codeine relaxes the GI muscles, thus by creating the inhibitor of the motility of the GI system. So the client cannot move the bowel. If the bowel is not moving, the client will have constipation. That's what happening. You see in this GI uh, system, uh, these GI symptoms coming in. Now, in this case. We want to also tell the client to take oral coding with food. The client should take the oral coding with food. The client should be advised to increase fluid, uh, fluid and dietary fibers once you are on codeine and some of these opioids antiacusive. So those are things you want to remove for the NCLEX. Now, um, the client might also have opioid use disorders out from the complication with the client is on this medication. You want to advise the client for potential abuse because when you take this drug for too long time, it might create dependence or abuse, which the client needs to be advised on it very strongly. Um, it's used for short-term duration for this medication. Short-term and we stop using it, we do other thing. Now, codeine is contraindicated in pregnancy category C. I'm calling use alone in Schedule 2 of control substance, meaning it is a four-owner Schedule 2 of the control substance. We look, you know, we're talking about Schedule 1, Schedule 2, 3, 4. We talk about all these schedules when we're doing at the, at, the, at the beginning of this particular pharmacology. Now, so those are the medications that fall on um, anti-tusive opioids. Now, let's look at the non-opioid anti-tusive medication, the non-opioids. Now, for the non-opioid under antitussive, like I give you, I said the dextromethorphan is an example. The dextro, um, the dex, the dextromethorphan, dextromethorphan is an example of the non-opioid antitussive. Now, these are drugs that that, that, that that provide the same function. The difference is that they do not contain opioids medication or opioid substances. This medication, they, su su uh, they suppress the cough through the CNS also, but they are not opioid medications. Um, they are derived, it is derived from opioids, but they are not opioid medication. Now, these medications include the benzonatate, the one I talked about earlier on, benzonatate. It also include the Benadryl I talk about. So the Benadryl, the Benzonatates, the Dextromethorphan, these are all medications that, that fall under the non-opioid antitussive medication. This medication, um, they suppress the cough when the client has a cough. Um, they can reduce the pain when they are combined with an opioid. But if not combined with opioid, they will suppress the cough in the client who has a cough. Now, uh, for them, they have fewer side effects compared to the opioids antitussive. For, for the non-opioids, 
they have fewer side effects um for them also there is a potential for abuse can instill euphoria in high doses yeah they can have euphoria in high doses when you take this medication for a long period of time now these medications i contraindicated in pregnancy category c that is the anti-tusive non-opioid um this medication they can cause high fever when used two weeks of when they are used two weeks when you use the medication with uh, the monoamine oxidase inhibitor the uh the mild they can cause fever just so we know that also um so when they when when, when they interact with uh with the monoamines antidepressant they can cause fever of uh fever in the body so these drugs we have to know much about them to make sure we are having thank you to make sure we are having the best about uh, the best knowledge we want we want to have about them when you see whenever we are doing the class and we see two different we see two different thank you when we see two two distinct uh medication that have some similarities we want to make our focus on those uh, we want to try to highlight those points to know the similarities and to know the differences because the NCLEX will want to test us on two things that are similar or define the same group. So you want to know the function of the anti-tusive medication in general. You want to know the function of the non-opioid anti-tusive and the example of drug that fall in that class. You want to know the function and example of drug that fall in the non-opioid anti-tusive medication. Any question? Then we look at the expectorant. Now, for the expectorants, um, these are another class of medication that we use um, for upper respiratory tract infection or conditions. Now, these medications, the expectorant, um, they increase bronchial secretion. So these drugs will increase the bronchial secretion. Um, their function is they reduce the viscosity of the mucus that is in our lungs when we when we have this infection. So their function one, they increase bronchial secretion. Bronchial secretion. How how do they do this? Is by loosening the thick secretion within the lungs. So we call that. Uh, they reduce the viscosity, the viscosity of the mucus within the lungs. They do that. Now, um, in here, it helps to clear our throat when we are having cough. When we are having cough, one good example of this medication is the guaifenesin. The guaifenesin. Guaifenesin, G-U-A-R-F-E-N-E-S-E-N. The guaifenesin. The guaifenesin is a good example for this medication. Um, it is a, is a good example of this drug class, the guaifenesin. Now, this medication under here. Um, these are drugs, like I said, that reduce the thickness of our mucus secretion when we are having upper respiratory tract infection. Now, these medications, 
um, the increased cost production by increasing take by increasing the thinning of the secretion. So when you are coughing and you cannot cough out the the, the, the sputum, so when you take this expectorant, they loosen up the coughs in the lungs or in the airway and it will make you to cough out the sputum. That's the main function of the expectorant. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because in the end class, the end class will want you to know why will doctor order for the client an expectorant, not a decongestant? Or why would they order for the client an expectorant, not an antitussive? Or why do they want to com combine both antitussive and expectorant for the clients who's, who's having a cough in the hospital? These are very important points that I'm taking my time to go through. And I want for the local and listen because this question in the end time when they come in the end class, they look so simple. And when we answer them, we think we get them correct. But at the other day, we do not get them correct because the basics for these questions, we miss them. Now, so the expectorant, like I said, these are drugs that uh, decrease, uh, 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 that increase uh, the flow of cough. They help to loosen the cough to make us the cough, increase the, 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 increase the cough or cough production in our lungs. Now, this medication, Specifically, the, the, the guaifenesin. The guaifenesin is available as an expectorant alone. It can be combined with antitussive or a decongestant, decongestant for treating symptoms of cold, allergic reaction or allergic rhinitis, and non-allergic non rhinitis. So we can combine the expectorant with decongestant or with antitussive, both whether it is uh, opioid or non-opioid, it can be combined with the both. Now, so um, they can be combined and administered in, in condition like uh, the allergic rhinitis or the non-allergic rhinitis. So when the client has allergic rhinitis, we can give the client an antitussive and give the client a symptom expectorant. Now, the antitussive will help to suppress the cough, which is the function of the antitussive, while the expectorant will help the client to loosen up the, or to thin, to thin this, the, the, the mucus secretion in the client lungs or in the client airway. So, in, so in, in such condition, the client will be able to put out the sputum and help to clear the airway. That's the function of these expectorants. Examples of them include, like I said, the guaifenesin. You have the Iosite, I-O-S-A-T. You have the Badex 400 medication, the Mucinet, the Pima syrup or syrup. These are all drugs that we're going to afford under the expectorants for these medications. Now, um, they also have their own complications, which include GI upset. Especially can cause GI upset. Take with food if the GI upset occurs. So they are taking with food if the client if the client has some GI upset. It can cause drowsiness and it can cause dizziness. In short, um, once a drug can cause drowsiness or dizziness, meaning it, it, it is causing some CNS problem. 
So drugs that can cause CNS problems, you do not want to take it when you are driving or when you are operating heavy machineries because it puts you at risk for, 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 for problems and it also put other pedestrians at risk when you are driving a vehicle and you are under this uh, under the influence of these medications now um then we look at um you want to advise your client to increase fuel intake when they are taking the medication great finishing they should increase fluid intake in order to promote liquefying the secretion because this medication will loosen the secretion so the more you drink fluid, it, the more the, sec the, 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 the secretion in the mucus area become uh, thinner. Now, um, this medication, they are available in tablets. They should not be crushed. And they are also in capsule. They should not be open. Uh, now, when they come in capsule, we can open them and sprinkle on the food for the candy to take it in. If they come in tablet, the tablet cannot be altered. If they come in capsule, we can open the capsule and sprinkle the, the, the powder on the food and the client can eat it or the patient can eat the food and it still provides the same effect when it's taken whole. Any question on the expectorants? Then we we'll look at the next group of medication we call the mycolytic agent mycolytic agent the mycolytic agent or the mycolytic now this medication um this medication loosen take secretion also in the bronchi um the breakdown take cough secretion into smaller molecular component or component when you take the mycolytic agents this medication i use in clients who have cystic fibrosis they are used when the client has cystic fibrosis and what happening in this in the cystic fibrosis in cystic fibrosis there is taking there is taking mucus secretion there is taking mucus secretion mucus uh, secretion in here there is taking mucus secretion in cystic fibrosis that are very thick that the client cannot cough it out easily so when the client takes in these uh, mycolytic agents they break down the thick mucus in the lungs they break down this thick mucus in the lungs and then the client can be able to cough them out that's what happened in the case of mycolytic agents um, also under here this medication um, we also another one is the acetes the acetacystein also for under here the acete acetacysteins acetacystein is also one of the drugs that for under the acetacystein acetal is a c e t y l c y s t e i n e acetyl 16. now this is this is the drugs we use as an antidote 
when a client has Tylenol overdose or Tylenol toxicity. Tylenol to to toxicity, we use this medication as an antidote or as an antidote for the Tylenol toxicity, which is the acetylcysteine. Now, this medication also falls under the um it falls under the mycolytic agents and this medication like i said they help to loosen secretion in the respiratory in the respiratory passes way they have other complications which include um they can cause bronchospising when they are when they are administered orally um when they cause bronchospising for the nursing consideration we want to monitor the client for symptoms of aspiration and bronchospising we have to stop the drugs immediately and notify the doctor if the client has a bronchospising from this medication bronchospising now in conditions that are life threatening you want to make sure for those conditions in the ankles one of those conditions is bronchospising when the client has it you want to make sure and stop the medication and call the doctor attention if the client exhibits the symptoms of, for these complications this drugs can cause liver disease so when the client is on this medication you want to order liver function tests all the tests you know that are liver function liver function you want to order when the client is on the mycolytic agent then we have um under here this medication or this drug are four other negative agents these drugs are they are contraindicated in pregnancy category b specifically for this acetylcysteine it is contraindicated in pregnancy category b um these medications they should not be used in clients who have some other problems some other hypersensitive effect to the medication acetylcysteine this medication um, can be administered orally or they can be administered IV for client who has um, Tylenol toxicity or acetaminophen to to toxic effect or overdose you should be prepared be prepared to suction the client if the client or shows any Aspiration symptoms. The client needs to be suctioned. You want to monitor the client for the liver function test, like I said. Those tests include now let's let me be specific, specific on this test. For the test, the client needs to be monitored on when the client is on this medication. The client needs to monitor the PT, the probing time, the creatinine, the creatinine. We need to monitor the BUN, the blood urea nitrogen. These are tests you want to monitor. You want to monitor the client uh, blood glucose, the client glucose level. You want to also monitor um, the client electrolytes and the client Tylenol levels. These are levels you want to monitor when the client is on mycolytic agent to be specific when the client is on acetylcysteine medication any question on these medications
Any question? Then we'll talk about a deep, let's look at a decongestant. The decongestant. Decongestant medication. The decongestant. Now, the decongestant, these are medications that relieve stuffy cavities, stuffy nose, stuffy ears, stuffy sinuses. These drugs are taken to relieve the clients when the client have stuffy nose, ears, um, um, sinuses, and other part of the body. This medication, they affect the sympathomimetic system um, by stimulating the alpha receptors and it will cause reduction in inflammation. So this medication causes reduction, reduction in inflammation and inflammation so the so the cause reduction in inflammation for the decongestant this medication they can be used to treat allergic rhinitis and non-allergic rhinitis this medication that is the decongestant they act as decongestant for clients who have Sinusitis and common cold. So when the client has sinusitis, wherein the client having this itchy and stuffy nose, doing this the whole while, we give them decongestant to help them to relieve the stuffiness of the nose or those or effect of the nose. For the decongestants, examples are one: the ephedrine. Ephedrine is an example of decongestant. Ephedrine. We also have the nafazoline. Nafazoline. The nafazolines are example of decongestants. We have the pseudo ephedrine. The pseudo ephedrine. Pseudo ephedrine are also example of these medications or this kind of medication and you have the phenyl the phenylphedrine or the 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 phenylphrine 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 these are example of of decongestion medication so this medication contains uh, they have some complication the first thing about about them they, they can call what we call rebound congestion they can have when the client on this just the client can stay how we call rebound congestion what is rebound congestion rebound congestion is when you use the drug for a long time you are using it as a decongestant they are if it is used for a long period of time they can still cause congestion so that's what we call rebound congestion in this case now so um then we go in 
and look at what can we do if the client has a rebound conjecture. We advise the client to use a short-term therapy. It should not last more than three to five days. If the client has or the client is having a rebound con uh, congestion, meaning the client took it for a long time, it can cause that. So we want to give the client we want the client to take it for less than five days. Um, you want to also taper the use and discontinue drugs when using nostrils at a time, using one nostril at a time. This drug can also cause CNS stimulation. Now, when we have CNS stimulation, the client is going to have agitation, the client is going to have nevertheless, the client is going to have uneasiness. So the client is going to have agitation, the client will have nevertheless, the client will have uneasiness. Now, for this medication, um, you want to use topical agents if the client has CNS stimulation and you want to stop the medication if it continues. They can also cause vasoconstriction. You want to advise the client who is hypertensive or who has some cerebral disease or who has some dysrhythmia condition um, against the use of this medication because when you have hypertension and you take this medication it's going to increase the hypertension that's going to happen because there's going to be vessel constriction which will put more pressure on the heart and thus by increasing our blood pressure so these are things you want to remove for this particular medication any questions so far the antihistamines um, these are medication antihistamine now the antihistamines we say these are medication that prevent the release of histamines when our body is injured or when our body senses a foreign body or some allergic reaction. So normally histamines are chemicals that are produced in our body when there's an injury, when there's a cell, when, when there are cells injuries, histamine is produced. When there is some allergic or allergen introduction to the body, the body reacts, and that reaction will be the release of histamines. So these histamines can cause congestion, they can cause vessel constriction, they can cause inflammation of various of our airway. So when you take the antihistamines, antihistamines block those receptor sites of our body that will produce or that will let go or that, that, that will let out the histamine that will cause the congestion, the inflammation, and other things. So that's the function of antihistamines in our body. Now, um, antihistamine medications, 
these medications action is on the histamine 1 receptors which results in the blocking of histamine release in small blood vessels like I said in the capillaries and nerves during allergic reactions. This medication relieves itching, sneezing, rhinorrhea, but do not relieve nasal congestion. Now, so the antihistamine, like the histamine can cause itching or sneezing or anything. So the antihistamine can relieve the sneezing, the coughing, the other thing, but they do not release or they did not relieve the nasal congestion, like, 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 like I just said. Now, these medications, um, they can treat mild reaction, mild allergic reaction. Now, remember, we're talking about the various kind of uh, anaphylactic reaction or other reaction, right? We said there are, I think there are, there are two different types of, uh, there are three types of, uh, there are three types of, uh, of, uh, of other reaction. So, the mild ones, can be treated with this medication, the antihistamines. But the severe one, no, we use epinephrine to treat severe reaction, systemic reaction when there's an or when there's when, when there's an allergic reaction. But this medication, that is the antihistamines, they can treat mild, they treat mild allergic reaction. For the antihistamines, they treat mild allergic reaction. Now, the antihistamines, um, like for example, when there is a seasonal allergic rhinitis, when there is a seasonal allergic reaction, they can treat those conditions. When there is um, anaphylaxis, like in the case of a hypotension. Acute condition, other things. It also help in this condition. The um, this antihistamine medication, they can also treat, like I said, anaphylaxis problems like hypertension, acute laryngeal edema. They can treat bronchospasm. So they can treat. Uh, they can treat anaphylaxis. Which include bronchospasm, they can treat laryngeal edema, and they can also treat um, hypotension. So they can treat hypotension, hypotension. These antihistamines. So these antihistamines can also treat motion sickness. They can treat insomnia, like I said earlier on. And they are often combined with other sympathomimetic medication to provide nasal congestion effect. Those are the function of the antihistamines. Example of these medications. So, so, so we have like a, we have three types of antihistamines. Let's look at the three types of antihistamines. The three types of antihistamines are one. The first ones we have, the first generation 
Esther I mean antagonist, the first generation. So these ones include you have the Benadryl, the Promethazine. So you have the Benadryl on here, you have the Benadryl. You have the Prometaz the Promethazine. Promethazine on here or the Finnegan. Now uh then we have the second generation. Now the second the second the second generations you have the Lorata Din. Lorata Din is an example. You have the Cetra, the set the Cetirazines. Cetirazine. Cetirazine. These are examples under here. And we have the physophenadine, physophenadine, the physophenadine. These are the drugs under here. Loratadine, cetirazine, physophenadine. Now, let me just say this so that we all can be on our guard. Um, all the drugs I'm going to write on the board here. You want to write them down to know their function, to know much about them. The NCLEX will not require us to know all the drugs in the world because we wouldn't know everything. Even those that produce these, these medications, they do not know all the drugs that we do in the hospital. So, the most frequently used or the most frequently used medications are our concerns. So we want to make sure that to know them. That's why every category that I'm going to go to, I will list for you few of these medications. You want to this this drug, the trade name, generic name, everything has different names. For the Benadryl, you're talking about the Diphenhydramine. Diphenhydramine is a, is is another name for the for the Benadryl. All these drugs got different names. So that's why when I'm writing them, you got to write them down and also do uh, other things with with them to know much about them. Um, then we have um, the nasal glucocorticoids. The nasal glucocorticoids are the last group of drugs that fall that falls under these medications. The nasal glucocorticoids. Nasal. The nasal glucocorticoids. Nasal glucocorticoids. This medication, um, they decrease the inflammation that comes with allergic rhinitis. So they are like anti-inflammatory medication when a client contracts rhinitis and the client is having some other problems like inflammation. So these drugs are administered to reduce the swelling. So these medications are the first lines of treatment for nasal congestion. So these are the first lines, the first lines of medications we use when a client has nasal congestion. We use this medication. These medications, um, they reduce the effect of, of other rhinitis which include sneezing, nasal itching, and running nose. 
so they reduce nasal itching nasal itching when you have runny nose or runny nose and they also reduce sneezing These are the function, the functions for this medication. It is contraindicated in pregnancy category C. Any questions so far? So we'll take a five minute break. And uh, so we want to like a look at um, drugs that affect urinary output. Um, this medication affect urinary output. Um, we'll, we are looking at immediate the diuretics and uh, we'll look at it separately before looking at the renal system because these are important drugs I want you to look at and look at the side effects, the complications and look at the nursing intervention for this complication. It is important to look at these things as we go along. Now, um, these medications, there are different types of diuretics. But uh, today we'll look at um, the loop diuretics. The loops diuretics. We'll look at the Tazar diuretics. We'll look at the osmotic diuretics, and we'll look at the um, the potassium sparing diuretics sparing diuretics now and we look at one we call the carbonic carbonic anhydrous medication where we have the acetazolamide other just for glaucoma we'll look at that on here the carbonic anhydrous um medications now um of of these medications let me say this for going into it in detail. These are all drugs that help to put out fluid from our body. But every one of these diuretics got different function when it comes to letting go fluid. Now, taking the consideration, sodium, potassium, and chloride are the three most important electrolytes that are let go when we are taking this medication. These medications, uh, they are drugs that counteract the effect of aldosterone. Now, aldosterone, it is a hormone that increases the retention of <clears throat> water and sodium in our body. That's the function of the hormone aldosterone. Now, so these drugs counteract the function of aldosterone in our body. Let's be clear on that. Another thing I want to be clear on is the Tazar diuretics. These are diuretics that function when we are having normal renal system. When our kidneys are all good, and we need to put our fluid, we use the Taza diuretics. So in the case of our abnormal kidneys, we do not want to use Taza diuretics. These 
Tava diuretics, they are the first lines of treatment for hypertensive conditions when we are having problem with hypertension. These Tava diuretics, they are the group of medication that we will use, that we can use to put out fluid in this case. Now, for the loop diuretics, they are what we call the high ceilings diuretic. They are the high ceilings, meaning they are like a, when the other diuretics have failed us, we use the loops to put our fluid from the body. Now, the potassium sparing diuretics, they are diuretics that we use to save our potassium. When the client is at risk, when the patient is at risk for potassium deficit, so we use potassium sparing diuretics. All of these diuretics, all of them can cause hypotension or they can they can they, they can function in blood pressure reduction. That is, we take them when we are having hypertension. But this particular diuretic, that is the potassium sparing diuretic, does not reduce blood pressure. It is not an anti-hypertensive medication. It is needed for when there's a reduction in our potassium serum, in our serum potassium level, then we take these diuretics. They can be taken to withhold potassium because we know that potassium in our body has an important function when it comes to cardiac strength, cardiac or contract or contractility. It has a very huge role to play in there. So when we are taking potassium sparing diuretics, it is not for hypertension it is for um maintaining the con the the, the, the contractor strength of the heart that's why we're taking this medication so it is not for hypertension let's be clear on that the carbonic anhydride uh, medication we have a good example which is the acetazolamide acetazolamide this medication is administered in the case of glaucoma in other condition which will come to very soon so this is just um, this is just a broad spectrum of all of these diuretics that we're about to talk that we're about to talk about now so let's start with this high ceilings loop diuretic that is the loop diuretics they are called the high ceilings loop diuretics the reason why they, I call the high ceilings, um, the high ceilings loop diuretics is because they are the highest class of the diuretics. So they are the high ceiling loops diuretics. So they are like uh, the higher class of diuretics. For this diuretic, they are more, they are the most effective diuretics compared to the other diuretics that's why they are called the high ceilings diuretics now these loop diuretics um they work on the ascending limb of the loop of healing that's why they are called the loop diuretic diuretic they work on the loop of healing of healing it is another portion that is in the kidney the loop of Henley L this is L now this medication 
um they are used when there is an emergent need for rapid fluid mobilization we use the loop diuretic when there is a rapid need to put out fluid to put out fluid promptly that we need it rapidly we take the loop diuretics these medications they treat edema caused by heart failure this medication um they can also be they, they, they can also be a means when the client has hyperkalemia i'm uh, sorry hypercalcemia in hypercalcemia we can administer loop diuretics this medication they reduces uh, this medication reduce the reaction of so these drugs reduce the reabsorption reabsorption of three that is three like that, that is potassium sodium and chloride this medication that's the function of the loops diuretics they reduce the reabsorption of potassium sodium and chloride meaning they let go they put out sodium chloride potassium and water from the body now the potassium the sodium they are both electrolytes and mineral in the body potassium sodium they are electrolytes and they are also mineral the function in nerve the function in nerve problem and they also function in muscles problem now um what is important here is everyone has a distinctive function besides the joint function now for the potassium oh sorry for the for the sodium um the sodium work on muscles and nerves these medications we all we all talk about how they function examples include lasix the furosemide furosemide is an example of the loop diuretics you have one the furosemide furosemide or we call it lasix you want to read about these drugs to know about it in detail we have the bumetanide bumetanide is an example of the loops diuretics you have the torsimide the tor the torsimide the torsimide is another example and we also have the etacrinic acid the etacrinic acid is an example the etacrinic is e-t-h-a-c-r-y-n-i-c etacrinic acid is an example of the loop diuretics now these medications um we take them to put out fluids that contains electrolytes and minerals which the, the minerals include the potassium the sodium and the chloride now when you take these loop diuretics they are the strongest of diuretics so meaning if a client has hypertension or edema 
we cannot just run first to the loops because loops are the highest class of diuretics. So they cannot be our first choice. So for them, um, they can cause complications such as dehydration. So if they are putting out fluid in high amount, so we are at risk for what? For hypo hyponatremia. We are at risk for hypokalemia. We are at risk for what? Dehydration. These are the complications that, that are caused by loop diuretics. So what can we do if the client is at risk for this condition or the, or the client have this condition as complication for the medication uh, loop diuretics? You want to monitor the client urinary output or tell the client for signs of dehydration. What are the signs of dehydration? The signs for dehydration include one, dry mouth, increased test, Minimal urine output and weight loss. Those are the cardinal signs and symptoms of dehydration. You want to also monitor the client for electrolytes imbalance. And you want to report any urine output less than uh, less than 30 less than 30 uh, ml per hour. And then you up less than 30 ml per hour got to be reported to, to the doctor when a client is on these medications. You want to also uh, report um, if the client has headache, chest pains, calf pains, pelvic pains. You want to also report this symptom to the doctor. These symptoms are indicated of thrombosis. So headache, calf pain, chest pain are all signs, are all early signs of thrombosis. So they should be reported to the doctor promptly for us to have a better and a, and, and, and a redress in the best time possible. We want to also um, look at all these things. Now, this medication can also cause hypotension. When the client is on this medication, the client can also have hypotension because it is fluid loss. The more fluid that is lost in our body, the client is running into hypotension. And the more fluid we accumulate in our body, the client is running into hypertension. So these drugs can also cause hypotension as the contraindication, or sorry, as, as a complication. So in this case, you monitor the blood pressure for this client. Tell the client about the symptom of postural hypertension. So the symptom of postural hypertension include lightheadedness and dizziness. So when a client have when a client has a postural hypertension, the client is prone to lightheadedness and dizziness. So the, when the client wakes up from sitting position and stands up, the client might have dizziness. If the client was lying down, the client is trying to stand up or changing position, the client can have dizziness. So um these symptoms, uh, you want to like uh, 
Tell the client to sit down slowly and sitting to stand up position, to stand in position, the client should stand up slowly. This medication, these drugs can also cause autotoxicity. Autotoxicity. It rings bell in the ear. You have the tinnitus. It can cause tinnitus. These loops diuretics. So you always see furosima. Furosima as one of those drugs that can cause tinnitus. It rings bell in the ear. Um, and when a client is having tinnitus while on the medication, the client is having furosima uh, tox toxicity. Once the client has to hear bell in their ear while on these loop diuretics, the client is having loop diuretic toxicity. Now, so in this case, the NCLA will give her these symptoms. A client who is on loop diuretic for the past two weeks, the client complains to the, to the nurse that the client is having, the client is, uh, the client is hearing bell in her ear. There's a ringing, ringing in her ear. What would the nurse do? So in this case, the, the, this is a toxic problem coming in. So we want to go in and advise the client to notify the, or, or notify the doctor and avoid the use of this medication, such as any other drug that can cause a same problem. Those drugs include aminoglycoside antibiotics. So the aminoglycoside antibiotics also can cause the same problem, aminoglycoside glycoside antibiotics uh, uh, antibiotics so the antibiotics aminoglycoside can cause the same autotoxicity so the client cannot be on this medication and be on this dry that they're going to cause more hearing problem if it persists the client might have damaged ear and the client might lost their hearing um this drug can also cause hypokalemia because our body is exp is expelling Potassium. So, in as much as the drugs will cause the body to loss, the body loss in potassium will be increased. The client can have hypokalemia. And remember, we said calcium or potassium plays a major role in muscle contraction and in our heart work or in our heart contractility. So, when we are having low potassium, the client is going to have some cardiac effects. The client will have drop in heart rate and other things. So in this case, we want to look at the client, we want to monitor the client potassium levels, look at the client blood pressure, teach the client to consume high potassium foods. What are those high potassium foods? Why are the foods are high in potassium? So the client is having hypokalemia. If the client has hypokalemia, hypokalemia, meaning any level of potassium less than what? 3.5. Is called hypokalemia. In this case, when the client is having hypokalemia, the client needs to consume food food that are high in potassium. What are those food? You have banana. You have also what? Potatoes, and you name the you name it. So all these foods are high in potassium. Now in the English. You, 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 you want to Google common food that are high in potassium to know them because they might bring it in different style of questions. Let's take me a minute, please. If a client is having uh, hypokalemia, 
we want to increase food that are high in potassium to increase the, 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 the client's potassium level. And we have to Google these foods to know them well. Because um, if somebody lived, somebody was born here, grew up here, would know a lot about them. But when I was going through my ankles, these are things that I, re I really got worried about because there are some food that I don't, I have not even heard the name. But because, uh, because I do not consume those food a lot, so I have to like Google all oh, these food, potassium rich food, calcium rich food, sodium foods. I have to make a list of these food. Like I try, like because I, I, I did not want to go to the English and see a question about food that I do not have an idea on. So I have to Google them to know them and really know them well. And if you do this, it's going to really help you. So any potassium level less than 3.5, when a client is on this medication, that is the loop diuretics, the client needs to have an upgrade in the levels of potassium. And we can do that by increasing the food level. Now, so uh, when a client have uh, these symptoms, such as nausea, vomiting, fatigue, less cramp and general weakness these are all signs of hypokalemia so the signs of hypokalemia include fatigue vomiting nausea leg cramps and general weakness these are all because we said potassium works both on the nerve and the muscles so if the nerve are not having the if the nerve cells are not uh, strong enough they do not have the level of protection they need to to, to 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 survive this will lead to weakness in our muscles and also it will lead to poor transmission of neurons or of, of, of impulses in our in our muscles that's what happened in this case when you have hypokalemia other other effects of this medication can, can include hyperglycemia the client can have hyperglycemia the client on this medication the client can have hyperuricemia. The client can have hypocalcemia. The client can have hypomagnesemia. And the client can have decreased HDL cholesterol. The client can have decreased HDL cholesterol when the client is on this medication. Now, the client can also have um, the client can also have a, 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 a decrease in the LDL. That is the low level. Dense, uh, the low uh, the low lipoprotein, the LDL, the client can have the L low LDL or decreasing LDL levels. These are things the client gonna have when the client have this uh, when the client is on this medication. Now, when the client having the high, <coughs> the client having the hyperglycemia. Now, let me just say this: um, when we are going for the ankles, we have to make um, we have to look at these things well. Now, in your book, when, when the book is highlighting these uh, complications, let's say that the book talks about one, hyperglycemia. Hyperglycemia, that's one. Then, every other thing that came after this hyperglycemia were all hypo. So, in all the symptoms that we talk about, all the conditions that, in, that we talk about, that, that, that will be caused as complications when you're taking loose diuretics and will be hypo besides sugar so you will have hypo natremia hypokalemia 
hypomagnesemia, hypocalcemia. We have all this hypo, hypocholesterolemia. Uh, we have hypo, be, there will be low LDL, low HDL. Everything is low besides glycemia, which will be hyperglycemia. So you want to make notification on this particular portion in your book because they're going to come in slow I apply. A client who is on a long-term use of loop diet of Fresima, the client might present with the following signs and symptoms. Slow I apply. A will say hypoglycemia. B will say hyperglycemia. C will say hypomagnesemia. D will say hypermagnesemia. E will say hypercalcemia. Now, in these conditions, in this question, the only thing you're going to have as hyper will be the sugar glycemia. Hyperglycemia. Besides, all the others are going to be hypo. These are important points you want to remember for the end class. So, um, now, when a client has these conditions, how can we treat them? It's another, it's another important part. And this treatment will only come in when we know our nursing intervention. And that's where I can ask you, when you are reading this portion in your book, when you reach to, um, when you reach to nursing intervention, please, 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 the NCLEAR will spend more time. More questions that comes in the NCLEAR will come from what will the nurse do? What would the nurse do? What the nurse action? The nurse's action, the nurse's doings and other things in the English are gotten from nursing intervention or nursing consideration. And that's the reason why when we are reading these materials, we want to emphasize more, we want to spend more time on the nursing intervention or the nursing uh, consideration or management as you may call it. So under here, when the book gives you these complications, the book also provides for you the intervention. So when you have hyperglycemia, hyponatremia, hypo, uh, hypocalcemia, hypokalemia, uh, hypo, uh, 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 hypo, uh, magnesemia, you have low level of, 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 of cholesterol, both HDL and LDL. When you have all these problems, what can you do as a nurse? The first thing is, you want to monitor the blood glucose level. You want to monitor the uric acid level. Monitor the calcium, the magnesium, and the lipids level. Why? Because for hyperglycemia, we monitor the blood glucose level. For hyponatremia, we monitor the blood sodium level. For hypomagnesemia, uh, we monitor the blood magnesium level. We should know the, the normal level of magnesium. In the case of low level of HDL or LDL, we monitor the blood lipids level. Those are the nursing interventions you want to put in the client on this medication. Now, then also in this uh, in in this case, you want to teach the clients uh, about. Uh, you, you, you want to report any level of these uh, illegal lights out of range. If it is high, you report it. If it is low, you report it. So you have 3.5 to what? To 5.0, right? Or 6.0. Now for potassium, any level that, that, that drop below 3.5 
should be is reportable that increases above 5.0 should also be reportable it applies to any other mineral or any other electrolytes that we talk about under here when you are on this medication we do not give these drugs to pregnant women unless it is required absolutely required then we would administer it to those who are pregnant other than that we don't these medication are contraindicated in clients who have anuria anuria means there is no urine output if the client does not have any urine output we do not give the client this medica or this medication if the client has any urea, meaning this drugs is contra in the client. If the client is pregnant, it is contra unless it is needed or it is required. Absolutely, meaning the doctor will have to give that or will prescribe that. This medication should be used cautiously in client with diabetes. Why? Because we said these drugs can cause hyperglycemia. So they should be given cautiously with client to client who have diabetes mellitus. These medications, the loop diuretics, should be given cautiously with client who have dehydration. This medication should be given cautiously with client who have electrolytes depletion. Electrolytes depletion. This medication should be given cautiously to client who have gout when the client have gout because the client will have increased uric acid secretion in, in in the case of gout and when you have this medication when the client is putting out water the embryo left in the body will be uric acid also so the client will have increased uric acid which will just worsen gout or condition and gout is a complication for what for rheumatoid arthritis this medication also um they should be given with caution in clients who are on the joxin client on the joxin because why the joxin because this just can reduce potassium and potassium has a direct effect on the heart likewise the joxin so the joxin and potassium have direct effect on the heart so if you are giving the client the joxin, you do not want to administer just potassium medication. You, you, you want to make sure uh, it is necessary to, 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 administer, to administer the both drugs. Because both drugs have different effects on the heart. You also want to give this drugs with caution if the client is on other octotoxic medication. On other octotoxic drugs. Why? Because this drugs the loop can cause what tinnitus in the ear ring in the ear and those drugs include the amino glycoside amino glycoside antibody like you have the what like you have gentamicin gentamicin is an amino glycoside so we do not so we want to give gentamicin along with loops diuretic with caution because gentamicin and this loops diuretic can cause the same autotoxic auto effect to the ear. 
We also want to give this judge of caution. When a client is hypertensive, and when the client is also on NSAID medication, NSAID medication, they should be given a caution. These are things we want to remove from the NCLEX and remove them very well. <clears throat> this medication can also um, cause, um, when we administer with a lot of other medications that, that I just talked about, they can cause some bad effects. So you want to give them with caution when the client needs this medication and it's not need other medication that will create problem. Um, we can the concurrent use of anti-hypertensive medication can cause some additive effect of hypotension. Lithium carbonate, lithium medication. This just can increase lithium level when you are on loop diuretics. Loops diuretics can increase, they can increase the effect of lithium, of lithium carbonate, just so you know that. This medication also, um, NSAID can decrease blood flow in the kidneys, which will reduce, you talk about NSAID. When you are on these drugs, the NSAID, what are the NSAID drugs? The NSAID drugs are the naproxen, example, are naproxen. You have the apiprofen. Apiprofen is also an example of NSAID drug. These drugs can reduce, so these drugs can reduce blood flow to the kidneys. So these drugs reduce blood flow to the kidneys. And if blood flows are reduced to the kidneys, our blood contains 85% sodium in our body. So the blood contains, so the blood is made of 85% sodium and water. So if, if this drug, if this inside drug can reduce blood flow to the kidneys, meaning when you take this loop diuretics, the amount of fluid that needs to be drawn from the body to send to the kidneys to be excreted as diuretics through the urinary tract will be reduced and if the if the medication is pulling the kidneys to get fluid and another drug is in the body like NSAID that putting the that putting the fluid from going to the kidneys the stress low on the kidney will increase and then, they, then then we're going to have kidney failure in this case so that's how it works when you are ordering or uh, NSAID medication or the ordering loops diuretics that's why we do not play with drugs we do not just allow our body to take drugs at the same time. No. You have to know when and why to give medication. Just as drugs can be helpful, it's curative. That's how it can be harmful and it can be fatal. So um, so we, we, you want to look at the client input and output, avoid administering lids during the day because this drugs can begin to urinate faster in the night. So most cases we administer this drug between 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. So 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. we administer diuretics. We don't administer then after 2 p.m. or like late you know, because they're going to keep the client to be having nocturia. Any question on this medication? Any question on the loops diuretic? The Tazar diuretic that like I talk about, 
I said this. Okay, so the first diuretic works on the loop of Henle. The Taza works on the distal tubules of the kidneys. They work on the distal convoluted tubules of the kidneys. This medication, they block the reabsorption of potassium and water. At the same time, blocking chloride and also blocking water reabsorption. This medication, they promote diuresis when renal function is not impaired. So this Taza diuretics, they promote water loss. They promote water loss from the kidneys when there is no kidneys failure or kidney impairment. That's when we take Taza diuretics. If you have kidney problem, you don't take this medication. Just so we, just so we know that. Um, also, in this case, um, the enzyme I ask you, a client with uh, pilot nephritis, a client with glomerular nephritis, a client with acute kidney failure, who having fluid retention, the doctor order the following medication on the e on the EMR. Which one of the medication would the nurse question? You have a Taza diuretic like HCTZ. You have loops diuretic like a Ferrisima or Bimutanide. And you have Osmotic like a Manitor. And they will ask you what would the doctor order? Let's remember that in this in a condition where we want to order these medications, we cannot order Taza if the client has some problem with the kidneys. Um, this medication, that is the Taza, like I said earlier on, they are the first choice. They are the first choice for um, for hypertension. Um, these drugs are used for edema when there is a mild to moderate heart failure, liver and liver and liver failure. They are used. These drugs, they are often used in, we, we use them jointly with other antihypertensive medications. So, we will use a Taza diuretic HCTZ with other drugs that will treat hypertension. Like, example, you have the ACE inhibitors. Like, like Lysandro pearls, Captor pearls, we use them in combination with what? With the HCTZ. To provide the best effect to the body. These medications, they are used to reduce urine production in clients who have diabetes insipidus. So you know when you have diabetes insipidus, what happened in there? It is an ADH problem. In diabetes insipidus, the client is passing huge amount of urine. So that's why having diabetes insipidus. So these drugs are used to reduce urine production in clients who have diabetes inhibitors. These medications, um, they promote reabsorption of calcium and can reduce the risk of postmenopausal uh, postmenopausal osteoporosis. So we can take the loops that these diuretics, 
when a client is having a postmenopausal osteoporosis. This medication can cause the following complications. And I'm not going to discuss this complication because we discussed it in the first group and it is applied to this group also, the next group that coming in. These drugs can cause dehydration and hyponatremia. These drugs can cause hypokalemia and hypochloremia. These drugs can cause hyperglycemia. These medications are contraindicated in pregnancy, like we talk about in the case of uh, the loop diuretics. These drugs should be taken with caution when the client is on digoxin, when the client is on uh, NSAID medication, when the client is on lithium, and when the client is also on other anti-hypertensive medications. When the client has cardiovascular disease, when the client has diabetes mellitus, when the client has hyperlipidemia or high level of cholesterol in the client blood, the patient needs to take these drugs with caution. So just as we talk about them in the loops, is also applied to the Taza diuretics. This medication, um, they interact with food the same way they interact with food in loops diuretics. Taza diuretic can cause no risks of hearing and can be combined with auto medication. So that's the only difference between the complication in Taza with that of the ones in loops. So in loops, there is an auto toxic effect that it might be covered by medication, but in Taza, there is no auto toxic effect in Taza diuretics. Um, example of these medications we have the chloro Taza. One example is chloro chloro Taza. Another example is the hydrochlorotazide HCTZ. Another example is the metolazon metolazon. Another example is the indapamide, the indapamide, the indapamide. This is our example of the H of the Taza diuretics. Um, this medication can cause decrease in blood pressure, decrease in edema. It can cause increased urine output. It can reduce urine output in diabetes insipidus. Now, I want you to take this very clear. In diabetes insipidus. In DI condition. Now, um, I'm going to throw a little light on it because it is important. That's why it is being stressed on in this book twice. We have ADH, anti-diuretic hormones. This hormone should reduce urine production in the body. Now, so the ADH has two conditions that can come from this ADH, this anti-diuretic hormone. One is diabetes insipidus, DI, and the other is SIADH. Now, the reason they call this condition diabetes insipidus, it is not because it's a blood sugar condition. No, it is not a blood 
sugar disorder, diabetes insipidus, diabetes insipidus, insipidus, DI, it is not a sugar condition. I repeat, diabetes insipidus is not a sugar problem. It is a problem that linked to water loss from the body. The reason it is called diabetes insipidus because it has the same three P's diabetes medical is going to have. In diabetes condition, we'll have the polyphagia, polydipsia, and polyuria. And in diabetes insipidus, we'll have polyphagia, we'll have polydipsia, and we'll have polyuria. That's why it is called diabetes insipidus. It is not because it is a blood sugar problem. In diabetes insipidus, the body secrete low amount of ADH. The body secrete low amount of the ADH hormone. And this ADH hormone function is to what? To stop water loss. It stops water loss. That's the function of ADH. So in the case of diabetes insipidus, the body will secrete low level of ADH. Now, if this hormone function is to stop water loss, and the body is secreting low amount, meaning the body will lose more fluid. If the body is losing more fluid, the client will have increased urination. That's what happening on a so in your you're gonna have polyuria, increased urination or, or urination. You have the polydipsia, the client will have increased test. These are things the client gonna have under here. Now, so in the case of diabetes insipidus. We give the client thiazide diuretics to suppress the kidney's function of increasing water loss. So when the client now, this medication can increase water loss from the body, but in the case of diabetes insipidus, it will give a reverse function. It suppresses water loss from the body. That is, it reduces the urine output. In the case of DR, this medication, Tazar diuretic, will, will reduce urine output in here. That's why I'm talking about here. And the opposite of DR is SIADH. In SIADH, there is increased secretion of the ADH hormone in the body. In SIADH, there is increased secretion of the ADH. And we said this ADH hormone, it is a hormone that functions in stopping water loss so in this case wherein the function where, where it is being increasingly produced in SIDS condition this is it means symptoms of inappropriate anti-diuretic hormones so if there's an increased ADH in this condition fluid will, fluid will not be leaving the body so the body will have increase in fluids the person will have distended abdomen or edema and it will have other, other symptoms, which we'll look at in message. But my concern is just this DR on here, on here, so we can look at it now. So, um, any question on the, the Taza diuretics? Then we'll take a quick look at potassium sparing diuretics. The third, the third class of diuretic is 
the potassium sparing. Now, as the name depicts, that's it, potassium sparing. So the name itself tells you what the drugs does. So potassium sparing diuretics, these are medication that spare potassium in the body. That is, that will hold, the, these drugs will hold potassium from going out of the body. That's why they are called potassium sparing. Now, these medications, um, they block the action of aldosterone. So, these medication blocks or they block the action of aldosterone. Aldosterone, another hormone in the body. So, they block the action of aldosterone. And aldosterone we said, aldosterone we said, this is a hormone, aldosterone. We have to know the function of this hormone to understand message. If we don't know them, we will not understand message. So aldosterone increases, it increases water and sodium in the body. So this hormone, aldosterone, increases water and sodium in the body meaning when we have increased aldosterone we are withholding water and sodium in our body that's what happening in this case so when, so when we are having increased aldosterone we are increasing our fluid and sodium in our body we'll be having hypernatremia and hypervolemia in our body so in the case of potassium medication this medication or this drugs will counteract to aldosterone, meaning it will let go sodium and water. So the function of these drugs are found on these diuretic, potassium sparing diuretics, they hold, they will hold the whole potassium and then they let go. They let go water and sodium from the body. So potassium sparing diuretic will increase water and sodium loss and withhold potassium. This is the only group of diuretics that do not reduce blood pressure. They are not blood pressure medication. They are not anti-hypertensive medication. They are there to provide contraction, good muscle strength, good nerve strength to the heart when the heart is losing potassium, which provide contractility for the heart. That's the function of this medication. Any question on this medication on here? So, uh, so we can uh, do the, we can look at these medications in depth. Um, example of these drugs under here for the potassium sparing medication we have one we have spironolactone spironolactone that's one of the medication under here another one is the tram terrain tram terrain another medication under here is the um the amlo the Amloride, the Amloride are all examples of these medications. So we can look at these medications in depth, um, expand our knowledge on them, 
So these medications are combined with other diuretics. So we can combine this. So now in, in the end class, the end class is going to ask you which drugs order with the next question. In a sense, it is allowed to, to combine loop diuretics, example, furosemide, furosemide with um, a potent sparing diuretic, example, triamterine. The reason is, if we combine uh, furosemide with triamterine, guess what happened in there? The furosemide will let go water and sodium while the triamterine will withhold potassium. So it makes sense why I want to administer two different diuretics. If the client is low, if the client level of potassium drops below 3.5, why the cancer needs this medication? So we'll provide the, the patient with potassium sparing diuretic that will hold the left the balance left in the system, which is the potassium, and the client will still have increased uh, increased diuretics in water and sodium. So we can combine the taza with other diuretics. It, it can be still combined with uh, uh, put, we, we combine taza with with potassium sparing diuretics. So um, these diuretics in here, um, we they can be administered for the potassium meter. They can be administered when the client is having heart failure. Uh, they can be administered to block the action of aldosterone. I talked about earlier on, and they can be um, the, their therapeutic effect can take up to. 12 to 8 for 8 hours to 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 start to, to start to take effect. So when you are on the potassium sparing diuretics, it takes 12 to 48 hours for it to exhibit its therapeutic effect. So the therapeutic effect, therapeutic effect will show between 12 to 48 hours. Just so you know that. Um these medications, um, when you are on these drugs, you want to monitor the client potassium level. In a level level above five point you want to increase it. Now, let me tell let, let me tell you this: a trailing zero is not accepted. Five point this is wrong. We don't take this in in medicine, but but zero point five. A trading zero before a normal or decimal point is important. A trading zero after a decimal point is not important. Uh, you saw a question like this uh, last night. So um, five, 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 or uh, anything above five in potassium should be reported to to, to the doctor. So when the client two zero one two. Now, so um we look at all these things. We want to make sure we understand these things. Look at uh when you talk on potassium, you are talking about the heart, the heart. Just so you know that. 
um, potassium, concurrent use of potassium medication, salt substitute, and another potassium sparing diuretics increases the risk of hyperkalemia. So if, you, if, if, if you're using potassium medication and using other potassium supplement, it will increase potassium to uh, toxic effect in the body. And a question on potassium sparing diuretics. So this medication can cause hyperkalemia as complications. Um, they can cause uh, endocrine effects. It can cause deeping voice for men. It causes deeping. Uh, it causes impotence for men. It can cause impotence. It causes deepened voice. The voice becomes deepened. These drugs can also, for females, it can cause menstrual irregularities. These drugs can cause drowsiness. It can cause metabolic acidosis because it is it is increasingly withholding uh, electrolytes. So when a client is on this medication, you want to monitor for metabolic acidosis, which will, the client will become drowsy and will be restless. Any question? Then we'll look at the last drugs in here. That is drugs, that, that is the last rough diuretic, which is the um, osmotic diuretic, os the osmotic diuretic, these are the last group. The last ones are the osmotic diuretics, osmotic diuretics. These, uh, these diuretics, um, they can prevent kidney failures in specific situations. So this, I think it's a at any point, and this drugs can prevent kidney failure in specific condition. Example, let's say when a client has hypervolemic shock. The client has hypervolemic shock and the client is having severe hypotension. Um, in the case, in this case, it prevents kidney failure in specific situations such as hypervolemic shock and severe hypertension because this medication is not reabsorbed and remains in the nephrons, prevent uh, drawing of water, preserving urine flow, and preventing kidney failures. This medication can decrease intracranial pressure caused by cerebral edema, and that's why in many cases when the client has two brain tumor, cerebral edema, the doctor will administer Manitol. So Manitol is one of the most frequently used osmotic diuretics, Manitol. So Manitol, um, this medication decreases, or uh, this medication decreases intraocular pressure by drawing ocular fluid into the bloodstream. So, so, so the client having intraocular pressure due to increased ocular uh, fluid secretion, we give manitol and it will push the fluid from the ocular of the eye into the bloodstream, thus by reducing the intraocular pressure of the eye, the IOP. It can reduce IOP, it reduces also um, ICP, increased intracranial pressure. These medications, 
they promote sodium retention and water excretion in the client who have hyponatremia. Now, the drugs under here, Manitol or Osmoga Diuretics, they will reduce sodium excretion. Then they will increase water loss. So you see here, so this is the opposite of potassium sparing. So these are what we call also sodium sparing. So the manitol or osmogate diuretic, they are what we call the sodium sparing diuretic. Example, if the client has hyponatremia, the client has hyponatremia and the client, um, for example, is in the case of a, SIDH. Let let, let's, let, 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 let's look at what happened in SIDH. So in SIADH, in SIADH condition, the client will have hypervolemia. Hypervolemia. The client will have hypertension. And the client will be having hyponatremia. So in this case, if we get the client loop diuretic in this case, like furosemide, furosemide in this case, the client will, will be losing both water and sodium. And the client is already having hyponatremia. But in this case, the client is having hypertension secondary to fluid volume overload, not sodium problem. So in this situation, the doctor want to preserve the client's sodium level and just let out water. So the doctor will prescribe a medication that is a diuretics but spares sodium. And that drug will be like Manitol. So in this case, Manitol will spare the sodium to increase the sodium level and will decrease the fluid in the case of hypervolemia. Uh, That's what happened in this case. So these are things that the book will not say, but due to our common knowledge in these uh, conditions, you want, you, 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 you want to draw your analytical skills when it comes to the English. It's very important to draw them together to understand what we are doing here. Um, so, um, under here, we're going to stop here. The last word just is the carbonate anhydrase inhibitors. Those, the carbonate anhydrase inhibitors example is the acetazolamide, acetazolamide that is used in the case of glaucoma. So you can read about it to know much about them. Any questions so far? Any questions?